honesty in, uh, in government is very, very, very important. And like they're going to say rare. And, and <laughs> rare. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Carol Kellerman from Citizens Budget Commission. Thanks for joining us here today. Uh, if you haven't been listening to What's the Data Point, you can find all of our old episodes at Gotham Gazette or at the CBC website on all your podcast platforms. We've had a lot of great guests. We're on to episode 20 today. It's been a fun run so far. We're in our last few of this calendar year, but find our older episodes where you can find a bunch of city uh, officials, an MTA executive, a city council member, and a variety of sharp Citizens Budget Commission analysts uh, who have joined us. And so today we are joined by City Council Member Dan Gorodnik. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Who Carol will introduce and in doing so provide today's data point. Today's data point is 44. That is the number of days left in Council Member Gorodnik's tenure in the City Council, which is coming to an end after 12 years because of term limits. Councilman Gorodnik represents portions of Manhattan, largely on the east side, but his district also stretches across Midtown into Times Square. Dan has been a voice of reason and maturity in the council, raising important questions about the budget, economic development programs, and contracting, among other issues. He recently helped lead the negotiations, culminating in the passage of the rezoning of East Midtown to allow for infrastructure improvements. And he also helped negotiate the sale of Stuyvesant Town and Peter Cooper Village, where he lives, to include provisions to preserve the affordability of units for current tenants. He chairs the city's Economic Development Committee and is on the budget negotiating team. And he's been advocating for reform of the commercial rent tax to lower the exemption level from $500,000 in annual rent to $250,000, which would help thousands of Manhattan businesses. That fight appears to be going down to the wire, and Dan will discuss that and more with us here today as he approaches his final weeks on the job as a city council member. So before we get into the nuances of the commercial rent tax, let's take stock here of, uh, of these 12 years. Um, how are you feeling as you, as you wind down? What stands out? What are some of the highlights? Uh, take us down without getting too emotional, maybe, or feel free. What, uh, <laughs> you have a box of tissues around here. <laughs> we don't, but uh, uh, we can get some. Well, first of all, thank you uh, for the opportunity to chat with you guys today. Um, and yes, after 12 years, it is a bittersweet moment. I certainly have uh, enjoyed the opportunity to serve the district where I was born and where I grew up, uh, and obviously where I continue to live today. Uh, and it has been a uh, uh, 12 years that, that have been marked by uh, some big surprises, some uh, rather significant uh, land use and legislative uh, issues. Um, and you know, as I think about some of those highlights, uh, obviously um, the the sale of Stuyvesant Town and negotiating the largest affordable housing preservation deal in the city's history would have to be uh, in the top category, as well as uh, stopping a plan for East Midtown, which I did not think served the public very well, and then essentially redrafting a plan for East Midtown that I thought uh, gave uh, real benefits for growth, but also real benefits for the public. 
and then really on a, on a personal level, uh, in uh, over the past 12 years, one of the most significant challenges we had, of course, was, was Hurricane Sandy. Uh, and being able to be somebody who was organizing volunteers, bringing them uh, to a, a certain place where we were dispatching them to knock on doors of our neighbors and to bring them water and blankets and food. You know, we, we, we set up an operation during Sandy where we were knocking on every door in Stuyvesant Town, Peter Cooper Village, and Waterside Plaza every day until the power came back. That's over 12,000 doors. Uh, and there's nothing more basic or satisfying, I think, as a public official than when you are providing that level of direct service where you have a senior citizen who needs their prescription filled and you are sending somebody for them to the drugstore and bringing it back or bringing them water or blankets. To me, that was uh, among the most satisfying and also very consistent with the reason why I ran for office in the first place. Yeah, that really runs the gamut, you know, the difference between that and drafting the rezoning of East Midtown, right? I mean, the, these are the, the varied responsibilities. All satisfying, <laughs> right. but in, in, different, uh, in different ways, right. for sure. So what have you learned? I mean, 12 years is a long time. It's a good chunk of, of your life, your adult life, certainly. Um, what have you learned about doing the job? What have you learned personally? What do you feel like you've, how have you grown in, in the work? Well, when I first started, I, I really didn't have much experience in government at all. I had not much. I had zero experience <laughs> in government. Uh, and I, I don't think I had been in City Hall more than once uh, or twice in my life. So I was really starting from scratch. So everything that uh, I came to do and learn was really uh, from a very, very beginning point. Um, one of the, the initial observations that I had was that when you are somebody in public life, or a member of the city council, you are frequently on the receiving end of a lot of requests and interests, and uh, whether it relates to the budget or legislation or community challenges or individual constituent issues. And if you want to be successful and you want to actually move the ball on any issue that is particularly concerning to you, you have to sort of wade through all of that. And you have to find a way to be responsive to all the inbound requests, but also carve out time to, to move forward. Uh, and that was something which took a little while to realize, because you could simply spend your entire time in office responding to inbound requests. There is certainly more than enough uh, to be able to occupy your time. And you, of course, want to do that really well, because people put you there uh, to be responsive and to help them sort out their problems. But you also, and it's critically important, need to carve out the space to advance those issues uh, which are important to you. Um, another lesson that I learned is that honesty in, uh, in government is very, very, very important. And they're going to say rare. And, and <laughs> rare. It's, it's important and rare. And I think that when you are an honest person in government, um, a couple of things happen. One, you, you will never feel uncomfortable in your skin uh, because you know that you have said the same thing to every different audience, whether it's in a private meeting or in a public setting. Uh, you will not be, I think, unduly punished by people who disagree with you by virtue of the fact that you were straight with them right from the start. But also there is a challenge, which I've noticed, which is perhaps because it is rare, 
uh, when you say something honestly and sincerely, some people just believe that that is a, uh, an opening for a negotiation as opposed to like an honest and sincerely held belief. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a challenge on the other end. But the I think cynicism. That, yeah, cynicism <laughs> that nobody would, you know, would possibly be as, as direct. Um, so I think that those are, uh, those are important. Oh, and then, of course, there's a really very important one, which I learned from uh, former Speaker Gifford Miller. He said, when I first won my election, he said, never never wear the hats. When you go to a community <laughs> meeting and somebody gives you a hat to celebrate an occasion, uh, never wear the hats. It's, you're never going to come out looking good. You're going to have your Mike yeah. Dukakis moment. And so I have followed that pretty strictly. I think that was very good advice. So that must be the top piece of advice you're giving. Obviously. I think that you yeah, absolutely. Don't worry, yeah. think, uh, Don't worry about eat say. the food. Do you eat the, you know, do you eat at events? You know, it's, it's very hard. It's very, I think it's very hard to eat at events because I, you know, if you if you have a, a cocktail in one hand and you have uh, you know some hors d'oeuvres, come on. I just don't know how you do that. Where you know what what hands do you yeah. have left yeah. to, to shake shake, shake yeah, hands? Yeah, shake no, no, it's, no. It's it's uh, professionally irresponsible to occupy uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, both both hands during one of those events for yeah. sure. So Carol just mentioned uh, your successor. So why don't we? I mean, Keith Powers is coming into your seat. Um, how do you? How are you approaching a transition? What are you? What are you doing there? Um, what are you worried about? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? first of all, um, it's very easy uh, for us. I've known Keith for a really long time. Um, he uh, he's, he lives in the same neighborhood in Stytown. Uh, he has been there working with me on any issue that I have called on him for over the last twelve years, whether it was our bids to buy Stuyvesant Town or the door knocking in Sandy or anything in between. Uh, So we have a very good and close relationship and we have set up uh, times in which he and uh, his advisors are gonna come in and we're gonna download everything that they uh, need to know, which if there's anything that they don't already know, but we're certainly going to download everything. Um, And I certainly will continue to be a resource for him if he feels like he he wants me to be a resource. you know, these are, there's a lot of important issues that uh, will materialize and that are already existing. Uh, and I want him to feel like um, this is going to be as smooth a transition as could ever have been imagined. Uh, and I think that that's important and it's what I want to deliver to him. What are, what are, what's one thing, what's one specific that you're going to say to him, you got to be ready for this, you have to, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things you learn, maybe it's, it's those things, but what's something else, is there something else that, and maybe it's district specific, I don't know, but that you're, or, or about surviving at City Hall, uh, what, is there something you're going to say to him, you really got to be ready for this? Well, there's, there's probably a few things. Um, that I would say to him, one of, one of which is just to be prepared about the political environment that he's stepping into uh, and recognizing that um, that sometimes bills or other initiatives will move quicker than others for reasons that are not obvious and that it is his job to try to suss out what exactly is happening behind uh, the the facts that are before him. Uh, I will certainly encourage him to keep beating the drum on the subject of the retail crisis that we have in New York City and the fact that we're seeing far too many vacant storefronts. Some of that, of course, caused by dynamics beyond uh, you know, the jurisdiction of a uh, New York City council member or mayor. Uh, 
we have a lot of challenges for, from online shopping, and it's really taking a bite out of uh, uh, local retail, but finding ways to think about that and to deliver uh, real outcomes. I think is something that I, I'm going to encourage him, and I know that it's very much on his agenda. And of course, we're hoping to, um, you know, to get this commercial rent tax reform even before he comes in. But that should be just the first part of uh, a, a building block of helping to give relief to small businesses. It is certainly not the cure-all for all of the problems. It's just something that's very important for us to do. You talked about how much you've learned, which things you've learned in the course of the 12 years. Um, in retrospect, do you have second thoughts about term limits and the, the losing the experience and the expertise that members develop over time? Interestingly, no. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit that my, my thinking on the subject of term limits is a little bit in flux because I used to think that term limits were terrible. And that was, that was my view. Um, the more time I have spent in government, the more I think that I have some appetite for term limits. Uh, and let me tell you why. Um, I, I don't think they should be short. I don't think that you should push people out. The idea that city council members are going to be out in eight years is ridiculous. The idea that I was out in 12 years less ridiculous, and then maybe if you were going to say 12 or 16 years as the term limit in contrast to, say, an eight-year term for mayor, I think that that appropriately balances out legislative experience with the obviously strong mayoralty that we have in New York City. But uh, term limits, I think, do something positive. I mean, first of all, I I'm, I'm being uh, kicked to the curb as a <laughs> result of term door. limits, but I also probably wouldn't have come in. Uh, if there hadn't been term limits. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, there was, a, there was an opportunity for me back in 2005 that was created by my, my predecessor who decided to move on as a result of an opportunity for her. So it gives you some movement in a way that you might otherwise very, very rarely see. And I do think that uh, over time, people do tend to get a little comfortable. Uh, they, uh, they get a little less challenged. And frankly, uh, you know, once you've even been office as long as I have been for 12 years, there's certain challenges that you took on or explored taking on six years ago, seven years, eight years ago, and you hit an obstacle, but then you can't even really remember what the obstacle was and the problem isn't fixed. So the idea that somebody would come in with a fresh look and a fresh approach and not feel like they own the issue or the problem, I think actually has value. So, um, so I, I think I'd put myself in the, in, the, in the camp of, I am open to term limits. I just don't think that they should be as short as eight years. Frankly, the idea that most of uh, city government is going to, uh, to, to turn over in 2021 is absolutely irresponsible. It does no good for anybody. It will impact the ability to provide services in the city, to be thoughtful about budgeting, to be uh, you know, responsive to anybody's concerns. And I think that that is something that should be addressed for sure. Yeah, that's, that is something on the horizon that's going to be very interesting and concerning to many. And there will obviously be some people who are in office now or will be in office over the next four years who will remain in city government. We'll see, obviously, the 
public advocate and controller and some borough presidents, you know, seeking other positions and some city council members seeking those positions and things like that. But it is going to be a major, major shakeup of city government that is concerning, I know, to, to some. Um, what haven't you, you, you just talked about maybe hitting a roadblock on something and, and not being able to get over the hump. Are there things that you haven't gotten done that you wish you had? I know we have the commercial rent tax here, you know, at the forefront of the final um, weeks, but are there things that you didn't get done that you tried that you uh, are frustrated by? Or are there more things about just the process and the politics and government that you're frustrated by that, you know, you've learned you've learned about um, and you wish were different? Well, first of all, I want to be clear that I haven't come out of these 12 years frustrated. I feel like uh, it has been a tremendously exciting and successful opportunity, and I'm so glad that I had the ability to do it. Um, yes, there are frustrations along the way, as in any job, uh, where uh, you hit an obstacle and you... You know, you try to find a way around it. Um, and yes, there are a couple of outstanding items. You know, I haven't quite given up on uh, uh, at least a couple of things that are outstanding. We know about the commercial rent tax. We talked about that briefly. But also, um, you know, we have a bill outstanding on the subject of uh, police surveillance and transparency. Um, and this, you know, has been a point of great frustration for me because uh, we introduced a bill that. I think pretty closely mirrors what the Department of Justice does, what the NYPD does, even in other contexts, uh, when it relates to surveillance technologies. And we, we, we made so many efforts to try to work with the NYPD to actually think about how to do this carefully and thoughtfully and not do anything which negatively impacted their operations. Uh, but their reaction to it was... Uh, was so strong and so, I thought, inappropriately strong under the circumstances uh, that that has been a point of frustration, but I have not given up. And we are still working on, uh, on that as an important initiative and something that we need to, uh, to address. It was just a, a lawsuit which was won as, related, as it related to Stingray technology, um, mm -hmm. which gives the police department an opportunity without a warrant potentially to capture information on cell phones. So I think that there's there's an issue here. It's been recognized at the federal government, and one that we need to uh, to acknowledge that there's a, a public responsibility to have an understanding of you know what our dollars are being spent on and and what the parameters are for use and how you're protecting the data of New Yorkers. You know, you you um, you took on a few issues that were of particular interest to CBC and maybe only to CBC. And I'm wondering, you know, why would why did you do either of them, both of which would have no political constituency behind them? Um, so, so what motivated you specifically saying that in, introducing legislation to require that there be standards about when money is taken out of the Retiree Health Benefits Trust, which is CBC would say, supposed to be set aside to pay the health benefits of retirees, but is used more as a um, reserve by the city. And, and you said there should be rules so that it doesn't get taken out without specific standards being met. The other was protesting about the way the administration went around the school bus contracts that had been negotiated and compensated 
the bus companies more than they bid on the contracts so that they could retain certain employees. Not politically popular, hmm. not the sort of thing that anybody in your district probably came to you and asked you to do. So what was the motivation behind getting behind those and, efforts? And by the way, how about uh, even asking that the, the mayor uh, direct his agency heads to find savings in the budget? Oh, um, yes. Uh, because that's something that has not explicitly been done here in a way that has been done uh, regularly since 1981 or 1982. Um, you know, as it turns out, there are certain things which have no natural political constituency, which also happen to be right. Uh, and in these situations, the ones that you describe, the school bus drivers, that is something, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it is uh, the idea that New York City is supplementing the wages of school bus drivers after our procurement process is finished uh, flies in the face of not only the state constitution um, and the ban against giving gifts to people, but also our own procurement rules. Uh, I also think that now that uh, the, the agency, the Department of Small Business Services, is promulgating rules to continue this program also uh, is being done outside of the legal prerogatives of the New York City Council. So it, it, that just offends me as a lawyer and it offends me as a taxpayer. Um, uh, on the subject of the retiree uh, health funds, um, we have very big obligations sitting out there, right? And yes, yes. I did read your reports and uh, it inspired me to understand that if we don't actually start a process of putting real money away toward paying for the health benefits that we have promised, these are, these are benefits that we have promised to people. Uh, and we do not want to be in a situation where we are not able to live up to the obligations that we have made to New York City's workforce. This is really an important uh, promise that we made, and we have to act responsibly. Otherwise, we are all in very big trouble, and certainly not the least of, of whom are the people uh, to whom we've made these promises. Um, so the idea that we would put some guardrails up for taking money out of the retiree uh, health trust uh, and also even creating some requirement that we do put some money toward that every year and that the monies there only going in one direction uh, to me was thoughtful and sensible and that's why I proposed it. And then of course, you know, uh, there will come a time uh, where we will have to face challenges in the city budget. We really haven't seen it in the last several years. Uh, and I have uh, worked and certainly have gotten some of my colleagues to support uh, the, the idea that we would uh, add more savings to the city budget, not just by putting money away, but also by thinking through which programs are antiquated and which initiatives nobody really is supporting anymore. And I feel like we have not sufficiently gone through that exercise yet, and I certainly will encourage my successor and the next council to keep up uh, that pursuit. The, the school bus contract situation sort of leads me to this larger question, which is, has the city council over these last four years been too close to this mayor and, and gone along too much with what what he wants to do? Has, has there been a real problem? And the budgeting goes to that question as well. Has there been um, a problem there? Has there been a lack of assertiveness uh, that the body needs to think about recorrecting? I, I do think that in the next round, uh, there's going to be a lot of interest in having a council that is uh, a a real independent check on the mayor. I think that's what it's supposed to be. Um, and, you know, the council over the last year, it's not like there weren't conflicts, but uh, there also were no 
uh, no vetoes or no veto overrides, and uh, there was a rather close working relationship. Um, there's benefits for that too. But I think fundamentally the structure of the council has to be strong, independent, oversight, willing to challenge the mayor, willing to put forth its own ideas and stand for them and stand up for them. Uh, and uh, you, if, you, if you hear the candidates for speaker today, they are all making that point. Um, and I think it's an important point. It's an important point for the institution and it's an important point for the city. It makes the, it makes the council work better and I actually think it makes the mayor work better because it creates the right balance and, uh, and allows for ideas to be vetted and challenged and really carefully thought through. Have you got a candidate that you're supporting? <laughs> That you're willing for speaker, to say? yeah. Oh God, no, no. We love them all. <laughs> um, these are these are my colleagues, and I'll tell you something. I am delighted to be watching the race from the sidelines. Uh, they are all working very hard, and this is a this is a very difficult race. I, mean, I think everybody, your listeners, should understand the idea that you have uh, you know eight or nine or whatever the number is of candidates running for speaker of a fifty-one person legislative body, where only the fifty-one members get to vote. That is a very uncomfortable process. It's uncomfortable for each of them. It's uncomfortable for all of the other members of the council. Every time you're sitting and having lunch with somebody, everybody else is watching. It is, it is, it is a very, very painful process. Um, and uh, so I wish them all well, and I wish them uh, the best of luck in surviving it because it is, uh, it's quite tough. And um, obviously, uh, for those who might not be listening, you're, you're, you're speaking from experience from the, from the, from the last time around. Um, based on that experience, I mean, what, without picking who you'd like to see as the next speaker, um, are there particular insights that you can generally, you know, other things that you can generally say about the process that are, you know, of interest to people who are really following along now? And obviously, this position is extremely important and uh, right know. for New Yorkers who are interested I mean it, this is one of the most important jobs in city government uh, decided by those 51 people only with lots um, of outside influence. lots of outside influence but you know as, as a voter in New York City it's not like any of the rest of us will get a chance to cast a vote on this sure. um, and there are a few dynamics that are playing at play in choosing the speaker historically there's been uh, a fair amount of influence from the leaders of some of the Democratic county organizations, um, and they have the ability to hold a number of uh, votes together by virtue of the fact that council members from their borough may band together and commit to voting together. That's an interesting dynamic. Um, there is the dynamic of the, uh, the progressive block, uh, which last time was a very, very big group, and it's going to be, it seems, a smaller group this time. Uh, but they, too, have the potential to band together and go to bat for a particular candidate. And then, of course, there's the mayor. Uh, the mayor who may have a preference, may not have a preference, but uh, I would suspect will want to exert some level of influence over the process. Uh, and whether he's successful or what that looks like precisely, who knows? Uh, but that is an important element, too. And then, of course, you have labor unions and anybody who has uh, some business before the city council, uh, they are uh, going to look to put in two cents or uh, help activate uh, whoever they're friendly with uh, in support of their candidate of interest. 
Uh, and that just, of course, adds to the complexity of all this. And anybody who thinks that they can game out a speaker's race in advance of, uh, you know, any of this is they're, they're just giving you a, a bill of goods. Do you wear it as a as any type of badge of honor that Mayor de Blasio did not want you to to be the speaker he had to deal with last time around? Do you is that something that now four years later you sort of say, yeah, you know that 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 makes sense because I would have given him a harder time about a whole bunch of things. Well, look, I, I certainly haven't been shy in in challenging him in areas where uh, where we disagreed. Uh, I'm very grateful to him. He gave me a lot more time with my kids, which I think is something that I uh, have no regret about. You know, I have two boys, age six and a half and four, uh, and, you know, one thing happens and, you know, another great thing happens as far as I'm concerned. Um, But it was also interesting because uh, not only was that a difficult moment for us, but, you know, I I did not let that... uh, create an impediment for me in actually delivering what I believe to be some of the most important successes in my time in office. And a lot of them happened after that and in partnership with the mayor. Sure. Uh, you look at Stuyvesant Town, you look at East Midtown, uh, and I hope when we look at the commercial rent tax, uh, we are going to be looking at some very significant accomplishments, all which, you know, you know, put all of that nonsense aside and put it all behind and actually roll up your sleeves and find a way to get to a positive result. And that's an important lesson that I certainly will share with, uh, with my successor and anybody else who cares to ask my opinion about how you actually uh, move forward in politics, not get bogged down by those sorts of things, and keep your eye on the ball. Commercial rent tax, it seems like he's the one that needs to be convinced, right? I mean, he, you have 41 sponsors of 51 members, or there aren't even 51 members right now. Uh, 50, I think, but you know, either way, you have 41 co-sponsors. The mayor has explicitly said, if I'm not mistaken, I just don't want to give up the revenue. I just don't want to give up the money. How do you? Well, I mean, I think that, that um, you know, I think he recognizes the problem too. He understands that we are facing a retail crisis, uh, and that this tax is ridiculous. I mean, it is a cockamamie, antiquated uh, relic which should not exist. And it really doesn't exist in just about any other jurisdiction in the country. The idea that we are taxing the rent that businesses are paying. Um, You talk about a great way to throw cold water on the local economy. So I do think that there's a recognition of how bad and how unfair it is and how we haven't even changed the exemption amounts since 2001, which means that as we just sit here and do nothing, more and more small businesses who are paying more and more rent are getting captured by this tax which is a tax hike on small businesses. And so I think that there's a level of recognition. And the question is, how do you balance out his concerns about revenue loss with our desire to do something and to do something important now? And I think we are, you know, we, we are working through this, and I hope that we will get to a positive out, outcome. But yes, you're correct to observe that we do have 41 members of the city council who have signed on to this bill. I worked very hard in talking to my colleagues. You know, there are only 10 of them come from Manhattan. This is a Manhattan south of 96th Street tax. But the people who own those businesses, of course, come from Queens and Brooklyn and the Bronx, and Staten the Island. The employees and, come and from all around the city. The so potential employees that could be hired. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is not a Manhattan issue, and I have been able to impress that on my colleagues. And they understand it, which is why you have 41 of them signed on as co-sponsors and all five borough chambers of commerce supporting this. So uh, we, we have some real momentum here, and I hope we'll be able to get it done. And 
is that something that you would force the council's hand? I mean, you know, this is we're talking about this with a few bills like the Right to Know Act, those sponsors, because you're running out of time here in this session. Well, you're correct to observe that I am running out of time and that there are 41 co-sponsors on the bill. But it would also be correct to observe that I'm working very hard to try to get a negotiated solution to this uh, because I think that it is within reach and it is certainly within reason. Uh, and that is, uh, that is what I'm trying to do. Do the negotiations involve identifying ways to offset the cost with some savings somewhere or giving up some other programs? Because it is a lot of revenue. Yeah. And it's easy to be in favor of giving up things without explaining where the revenue is going to come from. And that, that is the mayor's responsibility. He has to do it. And, and that's what he's expressed as his concern, not the merits, but where the revenue comes from. Right. So is that part of the discussion? It's part of the discussion and should be part of the discussion. And certainly, um, you know, we, we did not, uh, in the bill that we introduced, uh, it was not an offset bill. We did not balance out legislatively the cost of giving this relief with uh, savings elsewhere. I happen to think that there's plenty of savings to be had in the city budget if one were motivated to do that. Um, uh, and the bill as it's written today does not explicitly still uh, have an offset. Uh, that's, that being said, um, you know, a, a motivated mayor and council could do that and should do that uh, either now or part of the budget process. Um, and you know, that, that goes to the broader question of you know, whether we really have done what we need to do in asking or even demanding agencies to find or identify those bottom 5% in their budgets. They don't mandate that they cut it, but let's just know what it is so that we actually can go through that exercise. I actually think that there's real value in that, and it might mean a reallocation of re resources in a way that uh, could counterbalance uh, the loss of revenue here, or just simply shifting it to an agency that has a particular emergency right now that might actually need uh, some more money to be able to support their goals. Are you worried? I mean, are, are there things you're worried about other than some of these budget issues um, as you step away from elected office um, and city government? Are you are there things you're worried about about the direction of the city? Are there things that concern you as we head into a second de Blasio term? Um, you know, as sort of someone who has been willing to, you know, call out issues when you see them, are there things that you're concerned about? Are you concerned about, you know, a mayor who seems often not that interested in some of the nitty gritty of city government and would rather, you know, give speeches elsewhere in the country? I don't know. I mean, I'm not, not, not to put those words into your mouth. That's me saying that, well, obviously. One, but. One, one thing that uh, that I'm really concerned about, putting aside uh, the questions of budget, put aside for the moment the questions of the retail crisis or homelessness or things that are, are uh, obviously on, on the agenda. Um, I think dealing with the issue of mass transit and congestion, something that is, it's not just an annoyance for people. This is uh, something which has broad economic impacts for the city and for the region. Uh, and we are seeing more and more failures. Uh, there's a challenged dynamic between the mayor and the governor, to put it uh, delicately, uh, and we need to get out of this. Uh, uh, that, to me, means uh, 
you know, finding real, real commitments to uh, addressing signal problems or, uh, you know, the, the, the trash that finds its way onto the tracks, uh, doing uh, congestion pricing uh, and finding a way to limit the, the sheer number of vehicles uh, in the core Manhattan business district during the main hours of the day while generating money for mass transit at the same time. I just don't think there's any way around our engaging with these issues, uh, and it is critically, critically important because, uh, you know, it's very hard to make the case to Amazon or to anybody else that New York City is a 24-hour city, our mass transit's the best in the world, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, when some of these things uh, are not working to their maximum capacity, and we need to deal with that because that is one of the real competitive advantages that New York has, and we need to keep it that way. So you are, as we say in our data point here, about 44 days from <laughs> the next thing, whatever it might be, or maybe longer. Um, what are you What are you thinking about? What are you looking at? What do you want to do? Is there, are there things you want to, you know, share now with the millions of, of listeners of, of our podcast. I mean, you know, where are you, where are you headed or where you do you guys think are up you're to, You're up to two million A couple now? million. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, no, so I, I don't have any big announcements yet. I think after 12 years, uh, I am going to uh, take a little break from the action um, uh, and uh, think about what is the right uh, next step for me. Obviously, I have public service in my blood. I love it. I feel like it has been a, a really exciting 12 years. Um, and uh, we'd like to think about ways to continue to add to uh, the discussion uh, going forward. But um, I, I just don't know exactly what form it's going to take yet. And I promise if you'll have me back, I'd be <laughs> delighted to make the big announcement when there is a big announcement. But uh, at this moment in time, I don't think I'm quite prepared to do that. Do you want to um, be in elected office again? Is that something you think you'll pursue? Do you think you have another run for, for elected office in your future? I think so. Um, uh, I, I can't say what office that would be uh, at the moment. I want to reflect on that a little bit, too, in the time that I have off here as to where I can make the, the biggest uh, difference and uh, what is the best use of my, uh, my talents and abilities. Um, but, you know, I have, uh, have, have raised a significant sum of money that is, uh, is there, uh, and it is ready for a race at that moment that it happens. Um, but I'm exploring, you know, what comes after uh, public life at this moment in time. I'm going to settle that question uh, and then think about uh, what else comes next. Um, so, so the answer is okay. yes, potentially, yes. but uh, but not known yet. All right, and we're we're um, in our last couple minutes here with City Council Member Dan Gorodnik. Um, who is departing uh, city government at the end of the year after 12 years in the city council. So as you mentioned before, just in, you know, some closing thoughts here, um, you know, you talked about honesty in government, catching people off guard sometimes and people not necessarily believing that you are actually telling them what you think. What generally speaking should, should people think about city government and, and what, fundamentally needs to change? I mean, is it that there still need to be more steps taken to reduce the influence of money or people just need to pay more attention? You know, we have such low voter turnout and engagement sometimes. I mean, what's, 
Are there things that are broken here? Um, or is it that people need to be more upstanding and, and be more honest? Well, I, I think that, you know, the, the participation rates in uh, voting in local elections is pathetic in New York. And, um, you know, some of that may uh, relate to disenchantment with the process, and some of it may uh, credibly relate to voting rules, which make life not at all easy for people to register, show up, vote by mail, etc. cetera. Uh, so that's surely broken. Uh, I also do think that, you know, there are a lot of decisions that are being make, made at a local level uh, for New Yorkers, uh, and they may not be seeing it. Um, you know, we're, we're grateful to uh, podcasts like this one and also to those who uh, you know, focus on local issues. Uh, but, you know, you've got your, your national government, which everybody's, you know, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of Americans out there are very concerned, even people who supported the, uh, the president. Um, state government is uh, frequently in a state of dysfunction. Uh, and local government is a place where you get a lot of actual initiatives done uh, and I think it deserves more attention from most New Yorkers. Uh, and certainly I, when I am out there in uh, non-public office, I will continue uh, to make that point to people that there are things happening that they should be focused on um, and uh, thinking about ways to engage on them. Mm -hmm. And uh, to the other part of my question, are there, I mean, is there a reason why, I mean, why you know, why is honesty so rare why what what well uh in a culture in which uh, anything you say gets sliced and diced 150 ways where instant reaction is posted on twitter and other social media where people show up and uh take a video of you answering a question when you're not prepared to talk about that subject at all uh it, it's a recipe for caution, obfuscation, not being as candid. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, an, it's almost a natural reaction to all of that. Uh, I, don't, I don't think, you know, dishonesty in politics is something that, you know, was born with social media, but, you know, there's also a desire to make everybody feel Please good about how yeah. you're doing. And I guess the only point that I would make is if you do too much of that, you're not going to actually please anybody because everybody will recognize that you are, you're not for real. Um, but the, the presence of, you know, instantaneous evaluation of everything that you do certainly is a, uh, it, it's a, it's a cause of concern for people in public life and could also be a reason for people to be even more careful and more guarded in their opinions and views. Um, so, well, I'll, I'll take that as a slight admonishment of my, my Twitter habits. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we look forward to your honesty and your continued engagement in local affairs wherever your, your next step takes you. Thank you. We look forward to hearing about it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councilmember Gorodnik. Uh, we'll be following along along these last uh, few weeks and, and a couple of these battles you mentioned fighting uh, while you're in city government here and then uh, to see what's next. So thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you.